A quick note before we start, this episode contains several adult themes, so we recommend saving it for later if you're listening with kids. I'm Adam Rappaport. Uh, So a while back, Kerry Paulus, our digital director here at Bon Appetit, pitched this idea of doing a big Mondo package online about the best neighborhood restaurants in America. I said that was a dumb idea. We don't need to do another list. How do we even decide what the best neighborhood restaurants are in America? And she's like, no, 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 you don't get it. We're going to ask all sorts of interesting writers and musicians and chefs and artists, etc., to write about what their favorite neighborhood restaurants are, the places that they go to again and again and they love and that have really become part of the fabric of their lives and that they aren't new or trendy, but they're tried and true and they love them. So we built this package. It went live last week or so, and it's amazing and it's beautiful. So much good writing, so many meaningful pieces by so many interesting people. And you can find the whole package by going to bonappetit.com slash neighborhood restaurants, or you can just Google neighborhood restaurants in Bon Appetit. I'm sure you'll find it. Anyways, first up, we have Epicurious's digital director, David Tamarkin, who wrote about a bar in Chicago called Big Chicks. Uh, David talks with Michelle Fire, the owner of the queer space, who has been a guiding force of the uptown neighborhood for decades. All right. And then after that, I sit down with David Remnick, editor-in-chief of The New Yorker, who wrote about his favorite Jewish deli slash smoked fish joint on the Upper West Side, uh, the legendary Barney Greengrass. All right, let's do this thing. Here is David Tamarkin and Michelle Fire. Michelle, for people who do not live in Chicago or even people who live in Chicago and don't go to Big Chicks, we have to get one thing out of the way first, the name of the place, because this is not a chicken restaurant. It's not a place for big women exclusively. Why did you call it uh, Big Chicks? Well, the, the name actually has a very specific origin. Um, back many years ago, I went with to India with a dear friend of mine who was also an artist, James Garrett Faulkner, and we were in Bandra, which is a suburb outside of Bombay, and I was waiting for him on a hill. This was many years ago. I was thin. I mean, I you know, I was I am who I am. I'm five foot eight. Um, and I'm a Danish woman, so I'm a tall woman. And I'm standing on the hill waiting for James Faulkner, and all of a sudden there was a group of Indian men across the road, and they started pointing and laughing and pointing at me and looking at me like I was some, like, odd creature. And I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? So they came across the road, and they said to me, where are you from? You're the biggest woman we've ever seen. And I said, well, I'm from America, but actually I'm very small. And so I was laughing because they'll never see, I thought they'll never see another American woman in that little town. And I could tell them anything. But it was so surreal. And they kept shouting, big chick, big chick, pointing at me and going, big chick. And it was like this moment that was etched in my mind. And I said, this, this, this moment is really important. There's something about this moment. And so... A couple years later, when I decided to open up a bar, I said, I have got to call it Big Chick. There's just no way. So it came from this moment where these Indian men in Bonjour were shouting across the street and pointing at me saying, Big Chick, Big Chick. And that's a derivative of the name Big Chick. It has nothing to do with breast size, 
size of women, anything other than that moment. I think that this story says a lot about who you are because you took a moment and you took this a phrase and you repurposed it and you made it yours, which is, of course, is something that, you know, lots of people do, particularly queer people have done it. Even the word queer, you know, used to be a slur and now it's not. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, what, when that happened, when you were in India being called big chick, big chick, were you upset or did you immediately know that it was a funny thing? It was, it, I wasn't upset. I was like, it was surreal. It was like, it was like kind of almost like an out of body experience because it, it, I was in this odd environment with all these, all these people and I was being pointed at as an oddity, you know, kind of like in a zoo. And so because I had that surreal quality, it, it felt important. It really did feel important. And it turned out to be important. And it turned out to be my life's work. So, you know, whatever that means, that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so Big Chicks, okay, now it's an institution in Chicago. And, you know, when we hear the word Big Chicks, we know that that means a bar on the far north side Actually, of Chicago. People still don't know that, though, David. People still don't know that. I mean, people still have, uh, you know, mistaken identity notions about the place. They think it's a lesbian bar. They think it's a bar for big women. They still, even to this day, um, people, you know, we, we, I, you know, we have to always keep front and forward who we are because, you know, the name does have all these connotations even to this day. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's it's very cat. I mean, it's it, you remember it. You do remember it, but people may not know the meaning behind it. So there, there's always a learning curve. So who is Big Chicks? Who, who is Big Chicks? Big yeah. Chicks is bigger than all of us. I mean, it, Big Chicks is just a very special moment in time. It's an enchanted space. It is a jewel box of a little gorgeous bar and restaurant it is in a beautiful art deco building with gorgeous artwork inside lovely people and it is essentially a moment in time is what it is there's no aspirations for 10 of them across the country you know there's no expansion notions i appreciate it every day for the moment it is what it brings to people what it brings into people's lives including my own and um I'm grateful for it. It's just it's just a lovely, lovely little creation is what it is. I agree with you, obviously. Uh, but what I think is interesting is you didn't mention anything about it being a queer space. And I'm wondering why not. From the time we started to identify ourselves as a men and men, women and women, and men and women, my feeling has always been of inclusion and that it goes for... And as society continues to change, it is inclusive to all the changes. So even from the beginning, when I had older people drinking in the bar, it started out as an older retiree World War II vet kind of bar and transitioned into primarily LGBTQ-identified space. As long as people were compatible and behaved according to my rules, everybody's welcome. Now, not everybody wants to hang out with, you know, with a bunch of gay people, and that's fine. But in this day and age, I've seen the transition from, because we've been around, we're in our 32nd year, I've seen the transition to a very segregated society, to an integrated society. So young people today, 
don't have those notions that maybe people did have 40 years ago about um, who you hang out with. Everybody hangs out together. So I've been lucky enough, we have been lucky enough to see the societal transformation occur right in front of our eyes in our own premises. And for that, I'm very grateful that we've had the breath and with the experience to have the longevity to see a major societal change happening right in front of us. What impact do you think the neighborhood had on the way your business has gone? Because when you opened... The business has had an impact on the neighborhood. Okay, so tell me about that. So when it first started out, the the neighborhood was a very rough and tumble neighborhood. Uptown was kind of the last, the last of the really old school rough neighborhoods on the north side. And um, I think that Big Chicks was a civilizing moment. I won't say gentrifying, I will say civilizing. And I had a set of rules, I had a set of responsibilities. I was out on that front street every day, making sure my customers at night got in and out safely. And so it was a crime prevention moment. It was a neighborhood moment. It was a moment where we became um, a safe focus for the neighborhood and it became a place where people wanted to come to. So I remember for the for many, many years, people advertised, I have an apartment for rent. It's only two blocks from Big Chicks. So it, it created an <laughs> influx of people who were like-minded who wanted to move into the neighborhood. And it was artists, it was gay artists, it was, you know, any number of people. It was mostly gay men. And it took many, many years, but the neighborhood really um, underwent a massive change and um, became much safer, much better, and much more forward-thinking for the future. And I think I think Big Chicks was pivotal, and the people who frequented at Big Chicks were pivotal in the, um, the moment improving the neighborhood. Why do you call it a civilizing moment instead of a gentrifying moment? It was a Wild West. It was Wild West back in the day. One time I came to work on Friday night, and I followed a trail of blood. I mean, somebody had stabbed somebody on the street. These were not our customers. But, I mean, my customers were never the problem. The problem was always the neighborhood. You know, the, the increased presence of people acts as a crime prevention. And, um, you know, what was different zoning laws and cooperation from the, the, the alderman's office the neighborhood began to change, but it was a very long process. And, um, you know, everybody played a part in it. The more people, I remember the first time in the morning, I saw somebody going to work with a briefcase. I was like, oh my God, the neighborhood really has changed. I mean, it was, it was that dramatic. I mean, people next door to me used to deal crack out of their baby's diapers off the front porch. They used to throw diapers off with crack in it. I mean, that's the kind of neighborhood it was. And it was, you know, when I opened, it was the height of the crack epidemic in the, in the 80s and 90s, very, and um, that other psychotropic drugs that made people very violent. So there was a lot of problems that were societal that were manifested very clearly in the neighborhood. And, um, and, and we were a civilizing influence because I was a presence there, physical, too. I was there watching all the time, calling the police, doing things, you know, and, um, and it makes a difference. And you, what I think, what I know about you now, because we've been talking for a couple of months, is that you were sort of raised in exactly the right environment and neighborhood to deal with that sort of thing. I have 
to say I was. I was raised on the west side of Chicago. I'm a working class girl. Didn't grow up with any, you know, silver spoon in my mouth. Went to public school. And uh, Chicago public schools in the 60s were pretty rough. So um, I, I was pretty comfortable with, um, I, I wouldn't say comfortable, but I was able to handle what the street dealt me. Did Was I terrified half the time? Absolutely. Did I let anybody know it? No, I didn't. Did um, So, uh, you know, I, I do think I had the strength to um, endure and thrive, um, but it, it takes a psychic toll. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, those were very, very hard years on me emotionally, but we did it and it worked out fine. And, um, you know, people were, thought I was insane to open up in that neighborhood at the time. But, um, yeah, I, I would definitely say growing up on the west side of Chicago gave me some street, uh, street savvy. What was hard about it emotionally? Well, because people were threatening to kill me. <laughs> okay, well, that I would think. do it, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they go, I'm going to kill you, bitch. I'm going to kill you, bitch. I'm going to fucking kill you, bitch. When people are saying that to me, I mean, I went to art school. You know, I was an artist. I, I, I never had people talk to me that way. You know, I would find empty shell casings in my doorway. I mean, this was nothing how I ever lived. You know, did I take CTA all my life? Absolutely. Did I have bad things happen to me? Yes, I did. But on a day-to-day basis, to deal with this kind of aggressive assault by people was was very, very hard. It was very hard. It's my duty to protect my customers and my staff. And I took that duty very seriously. I mean, that's what I was there for. If you're coming into my house, you have to be safe in my house. And great stories at parties. I had great stories, but who wants? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I always had entertaining stories, but I could never stay at the party because I'd get a phone call from the bar going, oh, Michelle, oh, Michelle, somebody's got, you know, this is happening. And I'm like, I had to run back to the bar and go, oh, my God. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was, it was wild. This idea of civilizing is interesting to me. Um, I have an opinion about this, but I'm going to ask you first. Do you think, this is such a leading question, do you think you civilized the gay bar scene in Chicago? Not at all. Not at all. Uh-uh. I, I, I don't think I had anything to do with the gay bar scene in, in Chicago. I think that Big Chicks was a was a bar that was inclusive, so there were women around. I was one of the few women owners. I never had strippers, and, and I don't know what you mean by civilizing. I would say that, you know, people had a good time. I I would say some of the raunchy behavior that happens and that used to happen at other bars and perhaps does still, I don't go out that much. I don't, I don't keep my finger on the pulse of it all. But I mean, we never had pornography on the screens. We never had a back room. We never had behavior in public. You know, we didn't condone two people in the bathroom. So if that's what you're calling civilizing, I would say um, I had a certain set of behavior standards, and I expected people to follow them. And if they didn't, then they were asked to leave. So my house is the only thing I can take care of. And so when people come to Big Chicks, whether you're a man or a woman, I want rules to behave, rules to to be followed so people have a good time and don't have to worry about somebody behaving inappropriately and you know that's quite different than the 80s and 70s when I was in the bars when anything went but it was that was a different era and it's a different era today but I think Big Chicks has always been its own entity and really doesn't 
you know, I don't think it had any kind of influence in a broader sense in the gay community. I think we are this unique little microcosm of who we are. So everything you said is really interesting because that's not what I was thinking when I said the word civilized, though, of course, that that's, a, you know, that's natural where your mind well, would go. Maybe from my female point of view. I mean, I remember the first time I walked into a gay bar on Halston Street back in 1980s, early 1980s, and I walked in in the afternoon and, and somebody was giving somebody next to me right on a bar stool. Uh, that's, I mean, so... You know, that was my first gay bar experience. It's like, wow, okay, that's, you know, all right, there you go. So, I mean, it was, you know, that in its own sense, in, inside was a free-for-all. Outside was another moment. I mean, so you have a dichotomy. You have the greater civilization where I was in a very tough neighborhood, and then you have an interior civilization, which is the bar itself, where I expect a set of behaviors there, just like I expect a set of behaviors from the, from the, from the neighborhood, you know, so... Yes, but I'm Michelle, you mom, you have to say. know Michelle. I've always been a tough mom, David. Okay. <laughs> you are. I do know that you've been a tough mom, but you have to know that. I mean, I can name like six friends of mine who have hooked up in Big Chicks' bathroom. Well, I, better that I don't know about it, please. please. Okay, so I won't. I won't tell happen. you the names. Things happen. Things happen. But but you know you know it's not like we have a back room or anything like that right. and I'm, I'm i'm sure that people find each other so what can i say and yeah it's love know, I'm, I'm, they fall in love know, what can they do they fall in love that night they can, have to right that's right that's right you know i'm like the mother whose kid has a party in the basement just go to the basement you know i'm upstairs come visit me but that's you know um right. you know that's you, you try to be forgiving. <laughs> try to be forgiving. Okay. I'm going to tell my friends that you have forgiven them. Um, I have. I have. You know, basically through lack of knowledge. <laughs> right, right. What I meant when I asked if you had, if you think that you had civilized the gay bar communities, I guess I feel that you did civilize it in a certain way, which is that by making it more inclusive, you made it a a better place. And I do think that's that's a civilized approach to to okay, be more that, welcoming. You know, when you say civilized, I, I think gay bars are very civilized. But I, there used to be, there used to be, and there still exists today, I believe, because I don't go out that much, like I said, you know, there are some bars where possibly not everybody is so happy to see everybody, you know? And it's, it's, all, be, it's almost all of them. That can be women. That can be old people. That can be fat people. It's all of them, Michelle. People... That can be people of color. I mean, I, I, the thing that I like about Big Chicks is that we do have people of all ages, of all spectrum colors, of all sexualities, of all sizes, of all levels of attractiveness. You know, not everybody is a 22-year-old skinny Twinkie who, you know, is running around uh, with their shirt off. So, I mean, it's nice. I mean, people can be themselves. They don't have to fit into a stereotypical mold of what a gay person is supposed to look like. And I think that's a civilizing and relaxing moment for everybody. Yes, and that's, and, and, and I agree. And you know what, I'm going to get in, I might get in trouble here because I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that I think that most gay bars in America, I don't know about outside of America, but most gay bars in America are like what you described, you know, a bar where, you know, not everybody is welcome, which is such an ironic thing for a gay space. And I'm going to say, I'm going to call it a gay space and not a queer space. I think, I think actually, it's, okay, let's go there. 
I think that's a distinction right now. I think there are gay bars and there are queer spaces, and the two are not the same. And a queer space can act as a gay bar sometimes, but a gay bar that's exclusively a gay bar is not really truly a queer space because it's so focused just on one thing, which is gay men. And when, and when I hear gay men, I think white, well-to-do, uh, urban uh, males because we're talking about gay men. <laughs> so, so, right. of course, so like, now you're, you're making a statement. I'm not saying anything. You're you're not, I know, I know. Okay, is, yes, okay. Do you have a question for me that is not a trap? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not trying to trap you. No. no, no, actually, no, that's a good point. I'm not trying to trap you, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. What I'm saying, I want to talk to you just as a customer because, you know, for before coming back to New York, I lived in Chicago for 10 years, and I spent a decade going to Big Chicks. Sometimes, some years I would only be there, you know, once a year. And, and some years, you know, when I was single, I would be there once a week. And it was a very important place for me because I didn't feel comfortable in Boys Town. The boy, and, you know, for people who don't know, Chicago Boys Town is an area south of Uptown where Big Chicks is. And it's where a cluster of kind gay of like bars are. Kind of it was the epicenter and probably still is the epicenter of bar and, and gay life. Yeah. I think it's an epicenter of gay life in the Midwest. I mean, you have people coming from all, I mean, people come from Wisconsin on Saturday to go to Boys Town, you know. Yes, exactly. I agree with that. But it wasn't, you know, you mentioned like skinny Twinkies with their shirts off. Well, I, that was never me. I was very skinny, but not Twinkie and um, never had my shirt off ever. Never. I've actually, I've actually never had my shirt. I haven't had my shirt off since 1982. Um, Time to take your shirt off. <laughs> Um, anyway, so as a customer, as someone who, who you know, just uh, as a customer of Big Chicks, I, I guess I sort of want to take this moment to, to thank you because Big Chicks was, was very important to me and it was very game-changing for me. And it's game-changing, for, it's, game-changing for, it's game-changing for people who don't uh, otherwise think they fit into the other uh, gay spaces in America. And if I'm uh, saying that that's as nice a to hear. that's nice to hear, I uh, like that. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. And you know, and if I'm saying that as a heteronormative cis gay man, then I imagine that there are plenty of other people who feel even more unwelcome in gay spaces across America who would also appreciate big chicks. I also want to say I also really appreciated big chicks because you guys had cake. You know, it's everybody's guilty. It's everybody's guilty secret. You know. <laughs> That's what that's what's going on in the back room of Big Chicks. People are eating cake. Well, if anybody can feed them, I can. God knows, because I love feeding people. <laughs> I, I was laughing because we had Buck Burger on Monday night. Monday night is when we, I do a, a dollar burger. People, of course, have to drink drinks, but they have a great. It's a great social evening. It's an evening where people just relax and chill. But it seems that it's everybody's secret cake eating night because Monday night. We sold 22 pieces of cake. I mean, oh to have gay, gay men <laughs> eat 22 pieces of cake, it's kind of like, you know. And these are huge like pieces. For people who don't know, these are huge pieces of cake. Yeah, so I, it's very funny because everybody is very, you know, people are very conscious about their physiques and everything, but it seems to be the night when 
you know, you can sneak a piece of cake and, you know, you can you can go to the gym five days a week, but come to Big Chicks and sneak a little piece of, a big piece of cake in and nobody will see. It's dark, you know. <laughs> so, yes, cake is cake is on the menu and it is appreciated by everybody. And you're still feeding people on Sundays for free. Yes, we're still doing the free buffet on Sundays, which I've been doing for 31 years since I opened, 31 and a half years, where I say thank you to my customers by giving them a lovely buffet of food uh, for a couple hours. And um, it's a way to, again, that kind of civilizing moment where you are giving back and feeding people. It's not just about alcohol. It is about creating a space for people akin to a home. A lot of people don't go home. A lot of people are not welcome back in their own homes. Uh, a lot of people, like you said, come from all over the country to settle in Chicago. A lot of people live alone. And it is a lovely um, way to create um, a family is by feeding people. Can you remember, I don't know if you remember the very first time you did the Sunday barbecue, but, but the early years, what was it like back then? Well, back then, I did it myself come rain blistering sun on the back patio and i mean there'd be times when i it it was pouring buckets and i had a a giant like umbrella over me and i had my feet in two rubber buckets so i wouldn't be standing in water and i had this giant grill that you know was made for outdoor parties cooking burgers like crazy and doing stuff It, it was a lot of fun but it was it was crazy it was every it was just crazy but um yeah i mean the line would be forever we the line would be, we'd have to put up a sign like like they do at the amusement park saying 20 minutes to burger, you know, 30 okay. from this point, 30 minutes to burger. People would get their drinks and wait in line, and, you know, the music would be blasting in the summer, and it was just packed with people, and it was just so, it was, it, it was and still is a lot of fun. But now I have a kitchen inside, and I don't do the cooking myself, so I, I've, that's fabulous. I don't stand out in the sun anymore cooking 400 burgers on a Sunday. So, um, you know, the, the changes are good. They are good. Uh, several, several years after opening Big Chicks, you opened Tweet, which is a restaurant next door. Yes, in the same building, in the exact same building, but it's the third storefront over uh, on, in the same beautiful Art Deco building. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, what happened to your clientele base? Like, did you suddenly have, you know, an influx of people from the neighborhood you you, you had never seen before, or was it pretty much the same people? Well, I think because it, it first we started with brunch on the weekends, and then we did dinners four nights a week, and we did that we did dinners for the first four years, and that we got great ratings. We were packed, and that brought in a whole different group of people into the neighbor that it was that was we opened 15 years ago on may 11th and so 15 years ago it, the neighborhood was still very sketchy um there were still a tremendous amount of panhandlers and drifters on the street so the people that came in for dinners and brunch were especially for dinners for people who had never been to that neighborhood um when we went to brunch and lunch seven days a week and eliminated dinners and just had bar food um, then we definitely got many, 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 many more neighborhood people, and including families. And so 
our brunch is very family friendly. So I would, but at the same time, you can wait in big chicks and have drinks. So what I would say is, what it's kind of like, like with a plant, a cross hybridization, where you have a restaurant that is also very inclusive. I mean, you have tattooed leather boys and hardcore lesbians sitting next to people from the North Shore with their babies. We are great to everybody. People wait in the bar. Everybody's mixing around. They're looking at the artwork. They're using the bathroom. I would say the comfort level has gotten so fast. People are so comfortable in either space. I mean, that's what I've seen happen. And that also parallels the societal changes. People are much more comfortable with everybody these days, even when people look outrageous. I mean, you know, I remember in the you know 90s when everybody was tattooed up, everybody was like, it was really so outside, you know, the realm. It was a subculture. But now everybody's so tattooed up. You know, it's not, nobody gives it a second glance. So now you have families who are totally comfortable wandering around at any time on the big chick side because they're there on brunch, you know, and it's it, it created this kind of where water kind of found its own level and everybody just flows together. It's really sweet. It's very sweet. Um, and, and with gay people having babies and there's lots of gay parents now, it's this society has changed so much. There isn't that stratification. So it's a fluid moment. It's a gender fluid moment. It's a family fluid moment. And I think we represent that very much. Yeah, it's that moment at Big Chicks and at Tweet, which is which is beautiful. Yeah, they'll come. They'll, they'll bring their they'll bring their kids for burgers on a Friday night because they want to have they want to have a burger on the sidewalk cafe at Big Chicks. You know, babies just, you know, at a gay bar here. barbecue, Michelle. You yeah. gotta you gotta stop oh my that. God. Wait, senior citizens now come to the gay bar barbecue. Oh, Michelle. I'm telling you. Oh, it's it disgusting. Crazy. Oh my God, what's happened since it's I've crazy. left? All right. What's happened to our society? What can I say? Everybody wants to be a big chick. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I wish I were there right now. And uh, what I am just thinking about when you're talking is that the tagline to big chicks is what you mentioned, of course, men and men, women and women, men and women. But it's also, I believe you have a neon sign that says the Uptown Bar. Yes, the Uptown Bar. The Uptown Bar, which I love. It's not the queer Uptown Bar. It's not the straight Uptown Bar. It's just the Uptown Bar. Well, that's a vintage sign. We found that. I mean, a friend of mine, Tom Chabnell, bought us something as a gift when I first opened. I was like, oh, my God, you found that. I mean, I didn't have it made. I mean, it was there. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to find somebody's other sign, the Uptown Bar, and it put Big Chicks, the Uptown Bar. So, yeah, that's also our moniker. I think it says it all. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, thank you, David. If you want to yak some more, give me a call back, okay? <laughs> okay. I know you can talk, so I will. <laughs> Not a shy girl. No. Listen, thank you very much. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, David Remnick, welcome welcome back to the podcast. It is always great to be here. You realize you are our first ever three-time guest. Really? Yeah. You ought to get out of the house more. <laughs> I would like to say we have a T-shirt for you, but we have not made T-shirts yet. Yeah, so, how, how about a piece of cake? We could we could do that. We could we could run one up from the test kitchen. That'd be nice. So you wrote a piece for our best neighborhood restaurants in America package that is live on bonappetit.com, uh, and 
you wrote about a particular place on the Upper West Side of Manhattan where, as far as I can tell, you spent a lot of money. <laughs> well, first, I, I'm betting you that this is... How many of these pieces are you going to write? I, I want to say there are about 80 contributors of all sorts of interesting writers, this is gonna actors, be the, musicians, This you is going to be the Jewiest one. <laughs> the Jewiest. Let, let me explain. So this, is, this place is called Barney Greengrass, or Barney Greengrass, appetizing, a very mysterious word. And it is across the street from a building where Isaac Bashevis Singer, the greatest the great Yiddish language and Nobel Prize winner uh, lived. It's a couple of blocks from where I live. Wait, can you say, I, you did not include that in the piece. Maybe oh. we can, the great thing about the internet, I can go back Cut and for space, add that. No doubt. I, I can go back and add it. <laughs> there is no space on the internet. It just goes that. on. I've heard that. <laughs> That's the problem. And so let's just say the Upper West Side is not exactly um, restaurant heaven. I think partly it's because the neighborhood skews a little bit old, so nobody's going out late. And for restaurants to do a good business, especially if they have any, you know, this serious price attached to it, they have to do a number of seatings. Yeah, I think you mentioned that in your lead. I thought it was very astute of you. Very as not, sophisticated as not a, as not as a restaurant a non- guy. I was <laughs> exactly. like, oh, Remnick knows what he's talking about. Exactly. It's also, I think, the Upper West Side... For those people who do not live in New York City, it skews either older or you have a lot of youngish parents with kids. There's, That's there's right. There's a lot of kids. And, That's right. And if you, if, you, know, and if you po- have kids. And pockets of Orthodox yeah, Jews. You're, you're not going Pockets out. of various other ethnicities. But there's not a, there's, there's just never, there are, there are some places that are perfectly fine. But nothing that's going to make the cover of Bon Appetit unless, no, it, no. unless, unless <laughs> we do the Jew issue. Unless, well, not even that. You know, I lived in Moscow for four years as a correspondent in the late 80s, early 90s. And I came home and my wife basically bought an apartment. And I said, well, that looks nice. And we moved in. And it was on 72nd Street and down the street was one of these old-fashioned Jewish cafeterias that's in every short story of Bernard Malamud or Isaac Singer. And I went to the one that Singer ate and ordered the specialty of the house. It was stuffed cabbage. It was horrible. <laughs> and you just horrible. been living in Russia for four years. <laughs> horrible. Now, exactly. So, and, by the way, in an era where there are no restaurants, it's not like now. Yeah. I mean, Pizza Hut came to Moscow. This was a huge, huge event. So I came back, ate at that place, and... We lived on 72nd Street, and, you know, New York, you're very kind of geography-specific, so to wander as far as 86th Street, you would think you'd need a backpack and a, and a kind of walking stick. We moved uptown some years later, and I'd always heard about this place. It has a kind of mythological status, like Katz's Delicatessen, which is where you go for meat, which yes. is where you go for, for uh, pastrami. That's downtown. And we not only started going to Barney Greengrass kind of often, we got an if, account. If I may, also you mentioned the mythical status, just the name alone. Barney Greengrass, the Sturgeon King. The, well, you're just like, By the Ooh. way, and I don't want to hear about anybody else's locks and ten. Like I, Russ and Daughters, which has been written about in the New Yorker a lot by Bud Trillin, by Calvin Trillin, is terrific, but it's miles away for me. Literally. So that's right near Katz's on East House well, Street. I think Russ and Daughters also has a place in the Jewish Museum, which is good branding. Okay. <laughs> that's all the way across Central Park for me. So anyway, so we started going to this place, and basically, and I'll give you, it's, it's a sign of the times maybe, um, it's not exactly Longchamps in the words, or, 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 I don't know, Balthazar or something mm-hmm. like that, um, Basically, if we ever see anybody during the day on the weekend, 
that's where we meet them. Okay, let's if you could paint a picture. Let's let's say okay. I'm not from New York City. Let's say I'm not Jewish. I'm like, David, what is this Barney Greengrass place exactly. you keep talking about? What kind of restaurant is this? Well, so here's the thing. It's on 86th. Uh, it's on Amsterdam Avenue, in the, uh, just on the, near the corner of 86th Street. And there's always some tourists outside who have found this place in their guidebook. And they, it, I guess to them, reeks of authenticity of a certain of, of a certain kind. I also like that you said guidebook and not app, because the, <laughs> it's you more see, of the people who have the guidebook. I, I, I actually think that I do see with those skinny guidebooks, yeah. but you also see people obviously with, you know, so eater in whatever language and things like that. And people are certainly on a Sunday at 11, 12, 1 o'clock, there are people waiting for a table. There are two rooms. The first thing that hits you is the smell. The smell is of smoked fish going back at least a half a century. <laughs> and it is an absolute guarantee that your clothes will smell smoked when you go home from this meal. It, it will permeate your socks, not just your sweater. And so it is not, this is a very important distinction, it is not kosher, it is kosher style. <laughs> so what does that mean? It means they have both milk and meat, yeah. right? So and it is up to you, shall you want, shall you want the two to mix? Precisely. The, the owner is a lovely guy named Gary Greengrass, who's sitting at the cash register with stacks of you know invoices and bills, and he calls it his accounting system. It's, it, it looks like like a civil servant in in India or something with yeah. these stacks of these kind of old fashioned impenetrable systems. There's a counter there where they have all manner of locks, pastrami locks, Nova, whitefish, whitefish salad, and for the really effete, sable, mm. which is a very silky. Just sounds fancy, kind of, doesn't it? It's, sable. It, it's too fancy for me. We can <laughs> discuss fancy. this. It's too fancy. And, that, and so it's it, this white, long refrigerator case, probably from the 1950s. And behind that, you got the guys. You got who the are guys. And they're, and they're all fabulous. The, the and fish. here's the thing there's a lot of restaurants where. The, the 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 people who are waiters or the slicing guys and all that they play a character they they think they're in some kind of movie called you know Peter Luger's yeah or some some steakhouse where they're supposed to be really rude to you they've got a shtick I find that really tiresome oh it's annoying about that and you know as much as I have loved Luger's over the years it's also like okay this is not my first time here I get it can we just can we just get yeah, to the can we just move on to the actual part yeah. so but the people there are absolutely lovely and they're they are themselves you know they're they're funny they're warm they remember what you like um, which is let's say that's, that's a nice thing they remember you want a, a bobka on the way out what could be bad I've mentioned this on the pod before but there's that great James Beard quote where someone once asked him, what's your favorite restaurant? And Beard just responded, where they know me. Well, it is kind of seductive. Yeah. M- matters a lot. And not in a big, big fancy, you know, no, this this you're, this you're way, Mr. Rappaport. Yes. I, I mean, like, yeah. It's not like The Graduate. <laughs> He's walking through the lobby of the hotel. Exactly. It's not, none of that yeah. stuff. And we, my wife Esther and I have people come by and we we and we get the check because a check never appears and we have an account and so I your friends oh no David David let me let me you're like sorry sorry it's taken care of your money is no yeah. good here <laughs> literally <laughs> your money is no good here but so the, the space so again so there's that front room oh and in the window by yes. the way before oh, yes. you go in there are pictures of you know I think Alan Alda by the way has 
eaten in every restaurant in New York. So his, mm. his picture is the empty space in bingo, especially Chinese <laughs> restaurants. But, you know, there are various movies that have filmed a scene there, here and there, and it's not the Meg Ryan place. Yes, that, that would be Katz's. That's Katz's. I'll have what she's having. And I love Gary Greenberg very much, and I guess if I was really hungry and it's all he had, I would definitely eat a turkey sandwich there or something like that. But that's not the thing to get. Would no, you, and, and you're going to disapprove of me once we get to the, the what-to-order discussion. So, well, What would you get? Well, uh, what, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Okay. So you got the front room with the counter, and there's like bread products. All right, there are two up. rooms. Now, there, yeah. there is a hierarchy of rooms, and, you, and well, I have see, to this, admit. And this is what I asked you about, because that first room, you had the linoleum floor, and you know those old kind of like 1950s sort of kitchen tables with the the little the aluminum yeah. on the side. Yeah. And, and, and that front room is kind of the hustle and bustle of where the food comes out of. And, and then, I think it's, and I, and I again, and they don't, really care because the food is the same elsewhere but I think the priority seating is the second room to the left and that's the more prop I, I hate to use the word dining room because <laughs> that seems <laughs> yeah. a little much but that's where I always gravitate to when I go there yes it seems a little calmer you know but but, but By, still but still, still energy. let's put it to you this way the chance of a big dollop of whitefish accidentally dropping onto your forearm is 50% less <laughs> 50% less they're very skilled waiters and the key thing there is Barney Greengrass has been there for, I, I don't know, since... The, you said 1928 is I, when they, quote-unquote, moved downtown Okay, they moved Harlem. into this place, and you would think that the wall... They'd at least change the wallpaper. The wallpaper is of scenes from the French Quarter in New Orleans, <laughs> which bears no relationship <laughs> at all to this joint. None whatsoever. And the wallpaper itself has to be so soaked with essence of... Smoked fish and oil pickles and you, you know it's like it's it's like how you always hear uh, old bistros in Paris as like the walls like stained with Galois smoke. Yeah, this well, is like stained but with like salmon smoke. I don't know how and it stays and it's just I think it can't be erased. Yeah, it can't be erased. Hmm. And you know, so I grew up in Jersey and I. There was a deli about a town away from me called Tabachniks, which makes an appearance in, if I remember right, two Philip Roth books, not one. So this is this is to me this is um, this is home cooking. So all right, so let's talk about that. So it's Saturday, Sunday morning. You and your wife Esther meeting another couple. Do you order the same thing every time, or no. is it like, oh, let me see what I feel like this morning? You might want to expand your horizons oh, okay. area. What the basic order is the following. Let's put aside my wife's occasional dietetic poached egg <laughs> thing, which is that stop, it's just semi-inexcusable. That's, that's for a different podcast. Exactly. The basic order is what's known as the scramble, which is scrambled eggs infused with God knows how much butter, chopped onion, chunks of Nova, and if you like, also chunks of um, whitefish. Why or, not? Or sturgeon, rather. Are, how are the, are the onions kind of nice, a little caramelized? Mm-hmm. It's 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 yeah. actually perfection. What do you get with that? Well, you get uh, if you're me, you get a um, maybe a bialy toasted well. Explain for the uninformed listener. Is? Compare a bialy to a bagel. So a bagel. This is a show in which I have to explain what a bagel is. I, I, you know, David. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners across the country. <laughs> you're expanding your boundaries. So a bagel is. Um, we know what a it's, bagel it's is. It's round and it's got a hole in the <laughs> yeah. middle. A, a bialy is a bit flatter, yep. and it doesn't go all the way through in terms of the hole. 
So if you slice it in half, the top half is going to look like a bagel. The bottom half is going to be consistent and flat. And often the middle bit has kind of mm, onions and yeah, bits like, of stuff. Kind of like moist, caramelly onions it's, and seeds yeah. and stuff. And I, I, I need to do more you, research on the kind of, you know, a Bialy must come from Bialystok, which yeah. is a, p- a Polish place. It's kind of would, place that, would, that had lots of Jews until, uh, they, di- until they didn't. Did yeah. I would also say that unlike a bagel, you kind of you have to get a Bialy toasted. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is just, there's no controversy. All right. So, we, speaking of controversy, the first time you were on the podcast, you this talked about- This shocked you. This yeah. Shocked when you were at home on a weekday before coming to work, you would toast a bagel and eat it dry. Half. With, half <laughs> with nothing on it. Black oh, coffee. God. And you're giving your wife a hard time about being dietetic. Well, you know, I need to live forever. So, when you're when you are at- Barney, greengrass on the weekend, might I you put a nuts. little butter or cream cheese on your on your toasted bi- I, You know, bagel, I'm not bialy. a big cream cheese believer. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking I don't, about? I don't the whole, something. Oh God! I don't. No, I'm, I'm, the cream cheese just is a not. It's, it's, Maybe not just a, a it's not important to me. I would mm. say. Will you put a little? They give you the little like foiled butter of packets. Of course, which takes 16 different yeah. folds to unfold. Mm-hmm. It's some sort of kind of butter origami. I want to also say this is my one knock on Barney Greengrass. Is that Watch I, it, Buster. I, you know, I find Watch that, it. I find the butter packets a little too cold. Oh, that's So hard. they're hard, and then you got to kind of get in there. And yeah, then... you, you hold them in your hand, yeah. in your fist for a while, and they melt, <laughs> they melt rather nicely. All right, so maybe you put a little butter on. You have this nice, you, and also which I, what I like in your piece uh, it wasn't bad, by the way. Thank you. Um, always always glad to do a little freelance work. Yeah. Uh, you said, yeah, my go-to breakfast is the scramble. I just love that. Nova chunks of sturgeon. Nova chunks of sturgeon and exquisitely brown onions all scrambled into a few eggs with a bialy toasted well. Well. There needs to be a kind mm-hmm. of crisp thing going on. That's like on. when you go to a, a class. I don't want it just slightly warm. That's no. That's not, no, that's that's not toast. Like when you go to a, a diner in New York Ugh. or anywhere. If you get the hash browns, you always got to ask for them well, because there's nothing worse than those just kind of moist, uncrisp Same with brown it, or like, extra bacon, extra crispy. Yeah, fries sometimes. That, then, you ask for the, that. Uh, oh yeah. Okay, so can we have a full disclosure moment? Yeah. I'm not a big sp- smoked fish guy. Oh my god. I know. I know. For some reason. All right. Reason, so let me give you a meal. Uh, you can go. You get blintzes are delicious. Blintzes are how would I David, describe that? I'm not like 80 years old. I'm not ordering a blintz. They're delicious. I'm sure they're delicious. Absolutely but- delicious. <laughs> What is your problem? All right, so you're not going to get smoked fish at gonna, all? I, then go somewhere else. No, okay. Right. My, <laughs> what are you going to get? So this is what happens. My kid goes to school a few blocks from Barney Green Grass. Right. And there are some times when I'm walking back from 90th Street to the 86th Street subway. And, you know, we're both editors. Yeah. I'm not the same type of editor as you are, but I have a few words in the magazine yeah. to edit every yeah. week or month or whatever. And there are times where like, you know what? It'd actually be better to just get my work done here on the before linoleum. I get to the office because mm-hmm. then you got meetings and all that mission right. gas. So I'm just going to stop at Barney Greengrass. And on a weekday, it's not crowded. You can sit in that nice second room. What are you getting? So. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. So I'll get the Bialy. I've got to make sure I ask for a toasted well. I'm going to uh-huh. do that next time. Sometimes if I'm feeling really hungry, I'll get pastrami scrambled eggs. So those are good. Which are quite good. They're quite at, good. And they do. Yeah. Unlike most restaurants, they they cook their eggs nice, softly scrambled. They're not overdone. I've yeah. noticed this is a fetish in Bon Appetit, and, and it just shows that 
editors really influence their magazines in, in, in weird ways. It can uh, be like Middle East policy, and it yeah. can be ho- how I, you serve your All eggs. I care about are softly scrambled eggs and crispy fried eggs. It's like when, if you're going to give me a fried egg, I want the yolk nice and runny, but I want the edges crispy and lacy. You don't want that albumin-y. No. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. It's basically yeah. let's just let's just put yeah. a word to it. It's 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 snot. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it can't. It's so not good. I I have I have feelings about eggs, but um, they they do a very good job on their scramble. If you get onions in there, also yeah. they're tender. You can they, they they're buttery. They're very they're good. nice and buttery. You get that toasted bialy. Sometimes if I'm feeling a little healthier, I'll get the toasted bialy with a side of egg salad and a tomato. The egg salad there. It's another fetish of yours. It's not very seasoned. Yes, we've talked about egg salad yeah. also. They right. they I, they could use a lesson or two from me in terms of seasoning, right. whatever. So then I'll salt it. And I always ask for some kind of some uh, deli mustard on the side, you know, the brown mustard, and I'll sort of mix that in oh with the god. egg salad to give it a little zip. Oh my god! Yes, you know. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! That's vile. <laughs> no, it's delicious. <laughs> and then also, also what I like. What do you do? They, do they throw you out? <laughs> no, they. Do they like, let you in no, the next time? To your point. They're very friendly there. Like there's you didn't no, there's tell no me that shit. you were inviting me here <laughs> to insult me or Barney Greengrass. I'm not insulting you. I'm just offending you. There's a difference. What else do you put on it? Like a quarter teaspoon of paprika? No, sometimes I'll do a little the cream cheese on there. Um, With I'll, the cream cheese and the mustard. Well, the mustard gets mixed into the egg salad. Oh the cream cheese God. goes on the toasted bialy, so it gets a little melty. And I use tomato. How did you get pet. this job? Well, it's a good question. <laughs> As you know, it's more important to be a good editor than to you know, be a good cook okay. with the food magazine. Okay. So, because I'm uh, coming after you. But I like. <laughs> yeah, you need more to do. <laughs> oh, oh, one other thing which I love about the waiters there in Greengrass. If you ask for a seltzer, as many people do on the Upper West Side, can mm-hmm. I get a seltzer with that? They bring you the little bottle of club soda right. that you open yourself with the little like juice glass and ice and lemon. So and you're like, hoping for the big bottle with the spritz? No, thing? no, no, no. That, that I, does I, exist, but that, they oh, don't you have mean it. The, yeah, like the, like three. But it's almost style. like it, it exactly. Yeah, but it's no. almost like a novelty That's act like, at this point. Yeah, I have a, a friend of mine uptown gets you know wooden boxes of this yeah, delivered. There's the, sel- the seltzer but it, guy. But it feels like almost. At this point, you know, it's not a real thing. It's almost an affectation. Also, this friend of yours, like, yeah. it's a he? Yeah. Well, the two, it was a couple. The two of them, yeah. yeah. It's like, they want you to know the seltzer guy comes to their house. It is better than getting the dry cleaning guy. Uh, but no, so I like the little bottles because they're very crisp. And, and so, yeah, it's just a very nice moment. And I'm, I sit Here's there. the thing about this place. There's nothing wrong with it. No. It's perfect. And the, 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 the oh, here are your dessert options because, you know, you're there. You might as well. What a week, a weekend. Yeah. yeah, but you're not getting a dessert. Post, post but, uh, gym. But if you were there on a weekday, you're not getting dessert. It's, it's for me. It's mostly a weekend yeah. thing, and um, is they have terrific babka, always chocolate, never cinnamon, or babka muffins. Oh yeah, and fruit if you must, and also halva is quite good. I'm just I don't I don't that's and that's like a tahini sesame sort of I don't I just I don't have time for halva. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not wasting my calories. For, my hard-fought gym calories on halva <laughs> <For Hava. laughs> at 11:30 on a Saturday morning. And mysteriously, and I'm again, Gary. If you're listening to this, I'm not complaining. The coffee is diner coffee. It's just. It's okay. You wait. You have a good line about that also in your piece. You should. You're not a bad writer, David. Thank you. You. you say. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I might have written this on the subway. I'm not yeah, quite sure. That's where I get the best <laughs> writing exactly. done. You know. Um, oh, hold on. Uh, you can, you can this makes this for out. good radio. Yeah. 
My health nut. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. You it, say, uh, all right. Here we go. Here we go. You said, um, <laughs> we say, my wife, the health nut, orders half sour pickles and sliced tomatoes. Vegetables. To, to ease the guilt and unclog the quote unquote widow maker. The coffee, it's adequate, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> exactly. Adequate is a very good word to use. You don't want, you don't want, Perfect, perfect. It's like on a beautiful woman or man's face, a little mole. Yeah. A little, yeah, a little exactly. something. No, I think what's Point interesting interest. about Barney Greengrass, and if you go on to read David's piece on, on our uh, Best Neighborhood Restaurants in America package on bonappetit.com, you'll see these beautiful photos taken by Alex Lau, our staff photographer. And the smartest thing that uh, Gary Greengrass has done is what he has not done. They have not flushed through right. the place. No, and they haven't fancied it up. Now, I, look, his rivals, who I think he respects, Russ and Daughters have gone another way. They've, they've, they've kind of gone a little high end. Well, they opened the cafe around right. the corner. And that... it's very, I, and, and Gary will forgive me if I say this, but it's miles away from his place. It's, it's, it's quite good, but it's a completely different vibe. It's, 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 it's created by the younger generation, and it's, it's, a, it's more of an homage to old world sort of Jewish Lower East Side, but done in a stylish way with good tiling and good lighting. And it's a very cool place. If you, if you like that kind of thing. If you like that sort of thing. <laughs> but they, it's a recreation and a, a stylized version of what was that will appeal to a younger audience and hopefully folks like you as well. I, I, I've eaten there and, it's, and it's, it's, it's really good. In fact, the place that I'm headed toward for the first time in this this kind of subgenre of this is I've never eaten at Zahav in Philadelphia, so I'm, I'm headed there at the end of the month. Well, I have eaten at Zahav, and that goes, that's, um, that's, Israel. more, that's Israeli, Middle Eastern, right. full on restaurant. Was, and certainly, you love that. Certainly one of the most popular restaurants in uh, Philadelphia. Michael Solomonoff is the chef. That restaurant is, they've got like, the open hearth where they bake the fresh baked pita bread and all that. It's, um, it's delicious. It's, you will walk out of there stuffed. That's, you know? that's always my plan. Yeah, so if for dinner, and if, as long as you can go pass out afterwards, it's all good. I'm, I'm fine with that. All right, so if I happen to be up on the Upper West Side on a Saturday or Sunday I would, morning, I just drop in? I would, well, you got you to <laughs> know. i pull a, up a chair. you got to know a guy. <laughs> you, well, you're my guy. <laughs> I'd be happy I, to have you. And I will offer to pay, and you'll say. And I'll say your money's no good here. David Remnick, thanks very much. Great to see you, Adam. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.